an idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. The Other in One Paul podcast starts now. All right, welcome to the Honor and Ron Paul podcast. Uh, with me today is, uh, I'm going to mess it up. He just told me, Olaf Hornberger. <laughs> Horngren. 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 Yes. Horngren. <laughs> uh, and I'm ha- I have him on today because he is Swedish. And a lot of talk in this uh, world right now is going on about Sweden and their approach to this uh, COVID outbreak. Um, and so I thought that I would uh, get the the one person I'm familiar with who is actually from Sweden, <laughs> and he now lives in the U.S. Um, and uh, he's also a Ron Paul fan, and so that's helpful. Uh, so Olaf, why don't you just uh, take us a, a, a little bit through um, how you were introduced uh, to libertarianism and to Ron Paul, uh, oftentimes um, Sweden is, is thought of as being the socialist paradise, and so I'm <laughs> sure we're going to get into that. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, thanks. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, nice, nice to be here um, through the marvel of technology. Uh, for better, it makes your life better and uh, and sometimes worse you can argue in certain instances but uh, this is great so i'm happy to be here yeah yeah i am swedish that's correct i've lived in the u.s for over a decade now and uh, i kind of came on a little late i think in my life to libertarianism to the libertarian philosophy but better better late than never uh i was i am a big big supporter i admire ron paul for many reasons and uh, i wasn't familiar with him until many people talk about the 2007 2008 campaign that was way too early i had just moved to the united states when barack obama was elected president the first time and i didn't i had never heard of ron paul i didn't hear about him that election cycle at all um because i moved to harlem in new york city which everything got sort of overshadowed by you know Barack Obama being you know, the first black president and being in Harlem, historically black neighborhood. Oh yeah, and yeah, so everything it was it was lit. I mean, oh that that would <laughs> be amazing. Yeah. yeah, so it was uh, it was interesting to be there at that time. So I didn't hear about Ron Paul until later in the the campaign for the 2012 election, and uh, I I wasn't I wouldn't say that I was a libertarian then, but I did. I'm, by the way, I, I would consider myself coming from from the left, even even to some extent the hard left. And but I did have sympathy for him. I saw some YouTube videos and he was talking about the aggressiveness of the United States foreign policy, and I, I it really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could not see yeah understand his positions on economics and uh, you know free markets and any of that kind of stuff i thought he just sounded kind of loony uh from my own perspective then but i i continued to follow him and and i thought he was an interesting guy and i even you know i i hope that he would have done i i hope back then i i was hoping that he would do well um but yeah unfortunately the became down he went down to 
Mitt Romney versus Obama, it was kind of, I, I didn't really care at that point. So I was like, oh, right. this, this is not really interesting anymore because I was very disappointed after four years with Obama. I had, I was really, I thought that he would do some more s- substantial stuff. I thought that he would mm-hmm. close down Guantanamo Bay. I thought yeah. that he would really bring home a, a bunch of these or military bases and, and troops that were stationed in other countries but it never happened, and then he got it got worse. And then invasion he assassinated of, American yeah. citizens. It, yeah, yeah. invasion of Libya, and it, it, I just got really tired and didn't pay attention. And then in the last election cycle, it really I started following Rand Paul more, and I think it was more more of a Rand Paul thing that brought me in to mm. to libertarianism. And so it started soft because he's, he's more of a soft kind of guy. You know, he didn't mm-hmm. express himself in that radical manner like his dad. And uh, I, I, I liked Rand a lot and you know, people criticize him. But he, he was the reason I, 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 I uh, followed down that path. And then sure. I came across other other personalities and I, I think that's I, when once I started listening to and reading uh, people like Mary Rothbard, uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe, which has been my biggest inspiration I think the person that's influenced me the most would be uh, probably uh, Mary Rothbard and Hans Hermann Hoppe and the rest is just you know that, that yeah. that's it's history once you go down that path. It's, it's tough to go back <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that, that, that's where I'm coming from but I was very much I guess even when I was just to like even when I was on the left I think I did have some libertarian attitudes sure. but it, it, it just didn't exist the philosophy I had never been introduced to this it was never on the radar screen Right. It just wasn't there. It's not something that you got taught in school, at least not in my upbringing in the Swedish public school system. There were just these traditional political parties in Sweden that you learned about, and that's it. There was nothing outside there. So it was really never never on my radar screen. And right. then I, even though I did have some, some uh, when I re- think about back, about my, you know, myself back then, there's, there were some elements where I really did have uh, libertarian sympathies, but I did just didn't. I wasn't aware of it. Yeah, and I think you know, both sides on the left and the right have these, um, you know, kind of leave me alone type of elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on the left, you know, uh, traditionally anti-war, traditionally um, against people uh, making prostitution and uh, drug use illegal. You know stop bothering these people for chasing their own dreams however and and then of course on the right you have uh, more economic freedom and more you know don't take my guns yeah uh, that type of thing it, and so it's an old type of a saying uh, you can teach someone on the left economics or you can uh, teach someone on the right to be anti-war and you kind of yeah, <laughs> yeah. at this point that, i so. think the latter is probably easier in my opinion mm. um when you but i mean i don't know that's just from my my own like experience later on uh, i've turned so hard on the left now that i yeah i find myself really disgusted with with that side um oh, interesting. yeah so i'm uh I, I, when we even from the right you can you can still see elements of the historical kind of anti-war 
per, even though they're few, but they are they are there, yeah. like the Buchanans of the world and, mm-hmm. and the Robert Tafts. Even they, they weren't like hundred percenters, but they they were they were better than 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 most. Right. So let's let's talk a little bit about Sweden. Uh, Sweden has had kind of a interesting just as a, a country. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. um, you know, going back to World War II, they escaped World War II relatively unscathed um, relative to a lot of other European places. And they had a a pretty free economy and they became pretty high up as far as uh, income per uh, person, GDP per person, big trading, uh, lots of uh, natural resources, iron and oil. Um, And you see this time and time again with a lot of countries become very rich, start to feel guilty, have more socialized uh, policies uh, starting in the 70s, and that all kind of came to a head in the 90s, and uh, Sweden, along with several other uh, Nordic countries, had a collapse, um, and they had to peel back a lot of those uh, welfare state, uh, a lot of those uh, programs, and uh, made much more business-friendly changes, and now... I just checked it. It's number it's number 21 on the economic freedom index. Mm-hmm. Has um, essentially the same level of corporate tax rate as the U.S. Still quite a bit higher income tax and VAT. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but of course their their balance sheet looks a lot better. <laughs> than, well, than yeah. The US. <laughs> that, that is that's true. They might not have to print as much. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and now you have a, a pretty mixed economy. A lot of ways it's uh, freer and easier to start a business than in the U.S., less regulation burden, but at the same time, significant taxes. So the Swedish don't call themselves socialist at all. They're kind of confused by this because they're saying, you know, we're basically as as free as, as you guys. So what gives? <laughs> yeah, no, I think yeah, there there is something to say about that, and and I think there is a lot a lot of confusion when people talk about socialism, and the word it becomes, uh, it's hard. It's not a very helpful. It's not a very helpful term anymore. Mm-hmm. I like to always talk about instead of saying, you know, this throwing out this word socialism, uh, define define the. Um, the problem instead uh, in terms of levels of intervention that exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how much how much intervention exists in a country versus another. Uh, in different areas there are, I mean, there, it certainly can go both ways. You can argue from one here, Sweden is a little bit freer than the US, but US is way freer in this area. Like for example, uh, let's take uh, gun ownership, for instance. Uh, right. I mean, <laughs> you you want to go and buy a gun in Sweden? Yeah, good good luck. That's that's not going to happen. You need to get a hunting license, and only when you have a hunting license, there are only certain rifles that you can buy that are made for hunting. I mean, it's not like you can go and get a handgun and keep in your house to defend yourself. That's that's nearly impossible. Could you build your own gun? Oh, yeah, that's that's certainly not allowed. I mean, I guess people could technically do that anyway, and I'm sure in some instances it does happen. But the gun regulation is pretty severe. Mm. Um, Gun control is severe. I mean, even even things like pepper spray and stuff like that, uh, you can't even Mm. have those things barely 
And another area where Sweden comes up very, very short, and that's very unfortunate, in my opinion, is homeschooling. I mean, that's almost completely illegal in Sweden. Mm. You can't, you cannot, you're not allowed to homeschool your kids. And uh, you try to do that, go ahead. But in a couple of weeks, they will come, uh, they will beat down your door and take your kids away from you. Uh, you'll be fined and eventually you'll go to jail. So, yeah, U.S. is much freer in both of those areas, which for many people are very, very important. And and uh, I think justly so. I mean, you want to have who, you know, when it comes down to the ownership of your kids before right. they turn to responsible adult, who really owns your children? Is it the state or is it you? And I think in Sweden, it's pretty clear that you do not own your children <laughs> if you are forced to uh, send them to their government approved schools. Uh, and now we get to another area which is interesting in Sweden, and that is the schools, um, which have much more of a so-called quote-unquote voucher system. I would argue that most schools now today are would be the equivalent of charter schools here in the U.S. Hmm. So they're not they're not private schools. Everybody get they all get state funding, but they're run by by uh, by private people, by private organizations. Yeah. that uh, administer these these uh, these schools and there is school choice which um which we see lack of here in the u.s but that can be both good and bad and i can see arguments from both sides but there, there are libertarians who do argue for school choice being the sure. correct like vouchers and stuff like that and that's then you can look at sweden and say yes arguably sweden is is uh, is much freer that way so yeah, uh, regulations. Uh, when it comes to starting businesses, um, in my, from what I can see, now this varies from state to state in the U.S. too. So everybody's not the same, but it's not. There aren't many regulations in the way. If you want to start a business in Sweden, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to enter the market and compete, and the corporate tax rate is low, but the personal income tax is extremely high. Uh, in in uh, many cases, and there are also other taxes that uh, adds up. The VAT is one, which is twenty five percent. It's insane. Yeah, twenty five percent. Yeah, twenty five. Every every time money is exchanged from one person to another. Yes, you go to a grocery quarter. store. You go to a grocery store and buy something for a dollar. You pay a quarter of that. Uh, the VAT price. I mean, it's it's included, right? So you don't you don't see it. Uh, you, you see the price of the item, and that's the price you pay. But the VAT is included in that price. Now, does that include like, um, oh, so I'm starting a factory, and every little machine I have to buy has got 25%, and then I make my little doohickeys, and then I sell those little doohickeys, and they got another 25%. So is it like at every single level? Yeah, the, it is. But there are a lot of these things. Then I'm not sure how it works when you file your tax return and, and stuff like that. If if a lot of those things can be written off, then I'm not sure. But yeah, it goes it goes levels deep. It's a wow. perfect uh, perfect for for uh, the state for uh, re- revenue generating and an expropriate capital. Sure. The more uh, that's the yeah. more it's hidden, <laughs> the more it's uh, you know just like uh, our withholding here. So they yeah. withhold it, so you don't even notice it. Yeah, and that would be even more pernicious because you're like, why is this place charging me so much? You know, yeah. kind of like uh, fuel here. They sort of have a vat-ish type of a thing for the fuel price. Yeah, um, and you're like, wow, why is California fuel prices so much more than you know uh, South Dakota? It's like, well, yeah. it, the fuel costs the same. It's just all those uh, 
hidden taxes, state and federal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, I know it's it's uh, and the gasoline also the tax on gasoline is really really high. It's very very expensive. I think it's like uh, uh, at least a dollar per liter, and it's almost four liters in a gallon. Wow. Right. So it's at yep. least four dollars, and that's cheap. I think it's even more now. I mean, not, when, right now in this moment, it's probably cheaper because the price of oil is just sinking. But yeah, so basically all of it's yeah, <laughs> all of it's the tax because gasoline's yeah. cheap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now it's just you just pay the tax basically. Uh, it really reveals. But but yes, no, there are a lot. There are many many hidden taxes, and I guess it somewhat keeps the people at bay. The, people don't complain as much because they don't see it. But the tax burden is very high on the individual, mm-hmm. um, and sure. But uh, I guess you kind of pacify the population by making them sort of just giving them the solution that you can, you know, you get uh, free healthcare and free school and, and all of these things, but it's, it's really, yeah, that, that's how they run it. Um, So uh, it's, it's very different in some areas you can argue that it's, you know, you have the privatized pension system now in Sweden and, and, and other things like that, that I've been forced to be doing because it wasn't sustainable. You know, that needs to happen probably in many states across the U.S. to Illinois pension system and the California one. They seem to be tanking pretty badly. So um, there it's give and take depends on what you uh, depends on what you want in life, I guess. But, you know, on on um, I would say on average, I I probably think the United States is uh, slightly more free, if if you will. Yeah. And it's interesting when Bernie Sanders are talking about the scandinavian socialism it's like well i mean you could look at scandinavia in the 90s early Mm -hmm. 90s yeah yeah (laughs) what happened there yeah no exactly (laughs) so yeah uh yeah but so let's talk a little bit about the uh coronavirus in in regards to sweden and i pulled up a uh an interview with anders tegnell yeah yes that's uh, state epidemiologist that's correct and uh, he, he talks about uh, their approach to the uh, pandemic. And one of the things that really stuck out to me, and because everybody's like, oh, Sweden's going to be a disaster. And we can talk a little bit about that in a little bit. Um, but uh, this little quote from him, I thought was uh, really uh, pertinent in regards to the U.S. as well. As well. Swedish laws on communicable diseases are mostly based on voluntary measures on individual responsibility. It clearly states that the citizen has the responsibility not to spread the disease. This is the core we started from because there is not much legal possibility to close down cities in Sweden under the present laws. Quarantine can be contemplated for people or a small area such as school or hotel, but legally we cannot lock down a geographical area. How interesting. So it looks like he is following the laws of the land. Now, I think the U.S. has almost the exact same laws. <laughs> but for some reason, that is all out the window. And now it's just uh, yeah. an authoritarian little regime like, oh, state yeah. governors are locking this down and that down at, at just uh, a mention and not even with uh, oh, we need to have an emergent uh, law passed. They're not even passing laws. They're not even doing anything. It's all just by fiat. Yeah. Um, 
which uh, kind of brings up um, a podcast I heard with uh, Jeff Deist, uh, who's the president of the Mises uh, Institute, mm-hmm. and he's a, a lawyer. And he was saying, you know, in, in actuality, law is not what is written on the books. Law is what is enforced. Um, and he gave the example of the speed, speed limit. You know, if the speed limit says 60, but nobody is actually pulled over until they're going over 69, the speed limit is 69. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, going the opposite direction, if they're going to arrest you for public disturbance, if you're not wearing a mask... Uh, or uh, if you're gathering, you know, who cares what's on the books? That is the law because that is what people are uh, enforcing. And so it's, yeah, it's all can, very interesting. Yeah, you can, like jaywalking, I think it's technically illegal in some states still, right? right. But it's never enforced. So obviously we can't consider that to be the law anymore, that it's illegal to jaywalk. Uh, so, yeah, no, you're right. Um in, in, when, when it comes to Sweden in this case, so mo- like you said, most of the things that are coming out of the public health department is in terms of recommendations. So they're not they're they're not using coercion against any anyone. There have there are few restrictions, and I'll, I'll I'll get to those. But they always talk, and you can hear this the, the underlying tone through the press conference because I watch them every day. Is that these are recommendations, and we ought to follow them, but these they're not compulsory in any way. And each county is different from other counties. So they're, they're all different counties, and not every county should be treated the same way. So he refer sort of this subsidiary rhetoric when, we, when he says, you know, th- this county knows what's best for them, so let them handle their, their strategy for this. What we give them are recommendations and guidelines. How they enforce them, they're up to them. So these are not enforceable stuff on national level in any way. And uh, the counties are are dealing with this uh, more at, this, at, at, at very much a decentralized level. Uh, obviously, they they uh, do get help and things like that from from the, the um, and they take take advice from the public health department, but. It's all very much decentralized, and uh, it's it's refreshing to see this because he um, that it's the only country <laughs> or what they may might there are a couple of others but not very known perhaps but it's the only like Western European country now that has the most sort of like libertarian or liberal policy in regards to how to interact with with this pandemic and that is uh that is very good and of course everybody else wants them to conform because they hate it when there's a control group and an outlier like this and that they don't like they they put them their political careers in in jeopardy because if sweden manages to pull this off which i think they will uh, do very well then uh, what's the justification for having shut down all these states in the U.S. or in, in all these different Euro- European countries? Uh, it makes no sense. And then they're afraid if the populace might lose uh, faith in their elected officials and uh, the, their credibility will tank and, you know, their political career might be at risk. So, uh, of course, they're afraid of this, of this outlier. Right. Yeah, I'm sure they're, they're in some ways wishing ill on the... Uh... <laughs> 
Swedish people. But um, I was just checking some of the numbers. It looked pretty much in line with everybody else. They're plateaued as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the vast majority of them are in Stockholm, which makes sense yep. because that's the most populated. Um, <clears throat> and uh, once again, we see a, a significant increase in uh, severity in cases with the Africans. Um, yeah. And um, I was just uh, a, a good resource on this uh, is Dr. Rhonda Patrick's podcast. And I'll link that in the show notes talking okay. a bit about the impact of vitamin D. Now, last podcast, I talked about how I, I hypothesized that there was probably some uh, genetic variability in um, the ACE2 receptor. And that's why you saw some different countries that were having more problems with it, different uh, ethnicities that were having uh, more problems with this. But I think vitamin D could also be a a big contributor, if not the biggest contributor, because um, vitamin D works in what's called the renin-angiotensin system Mm -hmm. and modulates the ACE2 um, system and can upregulate the number of these ACE2 receptors. So the virus is then attacking different uh, areas. Um, And if you can think of it a bit, so you have the ACE, one and you have Mm -hmm. ACE2 and so ACE2 is specifically what the COVID is attacking and that uh, little receptor is used all over the place including the lungs uh, but also in the mouth and so that's why you get lack of taste and smell Um, mouth all the mucosa um, I shouldn't use all these doctor terms sorry I get going (laughs) that's that's okay my my wife will be excited to listen to this later (laughs) in the kidneys the kidneys the kidneys, lungs, uh, all very much involved in the renin-angiotensin renin system, and you've seen a lot of kidney damage. Um, and uh, vitamin D is very much protective uh, of this system. And uh, well before this, it's been known that if you have a decreased level of ACE2 and an increased level of ACE1, you can get all sorts of uh, cardiorespiratory problems. Um, and so... Uh, that seems to be a causal mechanism. Now, African Africans, African Americans, anyone with dark skin has an increased number of, uh, amount of melanin, and so they have a natural sunblock. Vitamin D is made by sun exposure. And then, if you take Africans and you put them where there's almost no sun, yeah, their go- vitamin D levels are going to be drastically low. And you see that on. Uh, many studies have shown um, that African Americans and Africans, uh, when they move to places there's not much sun, have very low levels. Just even in the U.S., uh, uh, like a third of the people in the U.S. have low vitamin D levels, and 50% of African Americans have low vitamin D levels. So it's a very common problem in today's world where we're not getting out in the sun to have low vitamin D. And so if you have these small segments of the population you can kind of expect them to be much more uh, impacted. And it's interesting how a lot of the news, when they're talking about Sweden, I was just looking at a couple of these little articles, they're saying, you know, uh, the Swedish healthcare system just doesn't care about these immigrants, and that's why they're having such problems. Ah, man, that's really a superficial level. I mean, yeah. Uh, it, and then they're talking about how, well, the immigrants don't 
sign up for the Swedish healthcare system because of the language barrier, blah, 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 blah. Like, or it could just be something physiologic. Um, I mean, this is a novel virus. This is the first time we're seeing it. But yeah. <clears throat> the, its predecessor, good old-fashioned SARS, COVID-1, you know, had similar impacts. Um, there were some studies that show vitamin D was somewhat protective. So, man, take that vitamin D. Uh, recommended max amount uh, per guidelines is 4,000 units a day. There are potentials for vitamin D overdose, but in general, it is quite a safe supplement, and it's readily available everywhere. So yeah. go get yourself some vitamin D, a little zinc, a little vitamin C, you know, that just things that have been shown to be helpful for immune system and uh, viral protection. So why not, right? Yeah, no, exactly. There, there, there is this other supplement. I, know, I wanted to see what you thought about that, but because I don't know, quercetin, quercetin, and yeah. it's uh, helping zinc get into the cell or something like that. Is that is that true? Yeah. Is that, does that help? Yes. Uh, the thought is is that it does help zinc to get into the cell. Zinc, when it is in the cell, um, will block the RNA polymerase, which is what the virus the specific rna viruses use that internal thing to replicate and yeah. so that is the thought that uh zinc um and it's also a thought of how the uh hydroxychloroquine works is that uh hydrochloroquine oops uh works is is to increase the amount of zinc inside a cell that's one of the hypotheses um so yeah i mean that's I, I don't know much about that. Uh, oh, once again, uh, that um, uh, podcast with Dr. Rhonda Patrick talks about that. It's interesting because if you look at uh, uh, Stockholm and the regions that are the most uh, affected by this, uh, there's one group that kind of stands out, and that is the, uh, the Somalis living in Sweden, who are five times more likely it, so far by looking at data to to get really sick from this virus and uh yeah i mean i don't i don't i don't know i don't have any definite answers but kind of would sort of make sense correlated with some deficiency of of that in in your body i luckily live in florida and i'm not i don't have that much uh melanin in in my (laughs) skin i got good get exposed to the sun just a little bit and that's uh that's good <laughs> otherwise I, I i burn very easily and it really also points out how uh you know here in, in oregon they've closed all the parks and the beaches and yeah. uh, camping you mm-hmm. know and there's very little transmission that they've discovered from outdoors right um so uh, i mean obviously if you're in an enclosed space um you have a much smaller amount of the air of which these virus particles are floating around in. Um, but if you're out in the open, uh, and particularly if there's even anything but a mild breeze and you're not, I mean, it's just going to get dispersed dramatically. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's uh, really looking like the recommendations of staying at home inside 
are not any more effective than um, the uh, not uh, destroying the economy and locking things down and yeah. maybe um, detrimental, yeah, uh, which would be a, a sad thing. And, and that's, you know, everybody makes mistakes, but one thing with the centralized command structure is that the mistakes are dramatic. They're multiplied. Um, and that's how, if you have a decentralized um, or an individual responsibility, uh, then those mistakes are are somewhat limited, um, and people you know, talk about libertarian societies and what would you do about warlords and well, you know, how would you describe <laughs> actual wars? How would you describe the American foreign policy? Yeah. You know, yeah. So if if you had you know warlords from you know if if Portland was controlled by a warlord, all right. That's bad. I'd take that warlord over the federal government. <laughs> but, you know, so, you know, the, the scope of the calamity that can happen with um, greater and greater centralization of power is, is very concerning. And, and yeah. you see that kind of amplified in the different governments' responses to, uh, to this virus. So yeah. I assume with uh, these lack of lockdown orders, Sweden must just be have a horrible amount of cases. Um, so <laughs> yeah. why don't you tell me a little bit about the numbers of the, the infected and mm-hmm. uh, the overrun in the hospitals that you guys are experiencing because of this laissez-faire yeah. approach. Yeah, right. Uh, it's it's terrible. We are on our knees now. But uh, it, it's interesting. You just want to go back to one thing that you mentioned there, that they're closing down parks and beaches and all that kind of stuff, and they're advising to stay inside. That is the opposite to what the Swedish Public Health Department advice advises mm. to. They, advi- they advise you and they encourage you to go outside. Go in the sun, go on walks. It's good for you to be outside. Wow. And And so even there, I mean, even at the top level, the advice is completely different. And that is something that's just struck me uh, a while ago. I was like, wow, this is the rhetoric, the tone in regards to this virus completely. Because I started listening to the press conferences from the White House, too, with that little house gnome, Fauci. Uh, and the way he was speaking <laughs> versus the uh, epidemiologists in Sweden. And it was just so different. I was yeah. like, man, it's, it's unbelievable how how uh, how different the tone was so youth like children's sporting events and everything all are are going are ongoing and the uh you know the schools obviously for kids kindergartens and all that uh is open too and i think that what had happened what has happened is that sweden the authorities in sweden has actually you know it might not happen very often but in this case they've really thought about uh in terms of this issue they thought about in terms of trade-offs as well mm-hmm. um because they realized that okay what happens if we do like other countries and we shut down all the schools for instance the kindergartens the preschools the elementary schools the middle schools even uh, high schools and universities went online and uh, fine okay that's perfectly fine i think that's appropriate perhaps uh, and if that works, maybe that can just be permanent and they don't have to go back to those schools anymore. <laughs> but um, they they estimated that if you were to close down these uh, lower grade schools, then 
since homeschooling has been illegal in Sweden for quite a long time. Now, that's that's horrible and all, but that's besides the point, because now people are organizing their lives around the schedules that surround the school, right? So they, what makes sense then is that both parents have a job. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Most parent, bo- mo- In most families, both parents have jobs. So if you close down these schools, now, they, it was estimated that Sweden, Sweden would lose about 20% of their workforce in healthcare. Like doctors and nurses couldn't go to work anymore because they had to stay home with their children. And now you have a situation that would certainly be a death blow to Swedish healthcare. Right. When you have a situation like this, where you do, where you estimate that you would have an incoming flow of sick people some of them right. are very sick and then you need that workforce to be there present to actually handle this situation and they are handling it uh, fairly well i think they're still operating not more than 80 percent of the icu capacity is uh, is full so they're they have an upper and that has been like that for a few weeks now the current number of uh, icu admitted patients is around 530 and uh, I think the total p- patients in ICU is a little bit over 800, but that also includes people who are not there for COVID-related reasons, obviously. And uh, they uh, they raised this big, hundreds of beds, uh, field hospital for the purpose of taking care of COVID patients in the south area of Stockholm. And that hasn't even been used. And it's not expected to be used either. Now they're they're saying... Yeah, we can still have it, and we will we'll turn it into a rehab center for you know these people that got damaged, uh, mm-hmm. you know, lung damage and so forth, and and start using it that way. But we have no patients there, zero, and uh, their healthcare system is coping pretty well. But I think it would have been a huge problem if they had closed down the schools and they did indeed lose twenty percent of the nurses and doctors because they now had to stay home with their children. I, I I don't know what that would have looked like, but right. it, I don't think it would have looked very good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so no, that's it's um, we're approaching. Uh, we have uh, over 2,100 fatalities. Uh, it's very it's it's unfortunate because first of all, half of those belong in this to the Stockholm region happening in, in in the Stockholm region, and among the Stockholm fatalities. 50% approximately, more or less, is maybe a standard error there, one, two percentage points, but in, in both directions. But approximately 50% of fatalities in Stockholm have happened because there was outbreaks in the nursing homes in, in, in the mm. region. And and then, oh, see, there you go. That's That, that would have, that should have put restrictions. Well, one of the restrictions that Sweden actually had was that you cannot visit the nursing homes. So that restriction was already in place. Right. So mm. it can't uh, be uh, blamed on that either. It's just very unfortunate that that happened. Right. And, um, and so I, um, I, I but uh, as you can see, there have been models, they have run models now and uh, they uh, have estimated that uh, in the beginning of May, like the first week of May, which is coming up pretty soon, there will be more over a quarter, more than a quarter of people in Stockholm have already been infected by by the virus. And so you can see this effect of partial herd immunity already in that region. 
and right. uh, and so that that's I wonder because I don't know about the other countries what because I don't know how how far the serology tests have gone and if if they have been used in others. But I I just wonder have the other countries that locked down everything reached that stage of of herd immunity already or and will there be a second wave that will kind of devastate this uh, and cause even more damage because you closed everything down? I mean, it all depends if this thing mutates and then people can become reinfected. Um, you know, uh, the antibody studies have yeah. been dramatic. Um, and um, so there's a couple things that could kind of explain how in most of these antibody studies, they say, oh, it's around 30 times. Some are like, oh, 20 times as many people were infected that we didn't even know about. So it, some of them are 55 times, and, and they're all eh, about 30-ish, whether you're talking, there's been some studies in um, pregnant women and homeless population and, and just normal screenings in, in Germany. And um, so either this is uh, very common, but some people are fairly resistant to it possibly from vitamin d levels or something like that or just genetically resistant to it or the antibody test is wrong and it's mm -hmm. uh picking up uh some because there are coronaviruses that cause the cold and so it's picking up people that had a cold last year mm -hmm. um so that's a possibility um so you know it's always tough when things are um so fluid and yeah. there's so much information out there and some things are leading down wrong paths. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of the nature of, of science. And, and But it certainly is, the one thing that is fairly obvious is that uh, this uh, disease is, is nowhere near the predicted uh, fatality. Right. Even in the, even in the models early on that said if that, assumed there'd be a hundred percent compliance with stay-at-home orders and the the numbers that they were predicting were dramatically more than what we're seeing now yeah um so uh, i mean that's all really good news and it's always interesting how people uh who are much more politically minded mm -hmm. are very distraught by the good news <laughs> or their it's 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 you know, politics is kind of a mental disease sometimes where it's like oh you know it has to be horrible because you know i i have this belief that trump screwed everything up and yeah. he needs to be out of office because of this and this he downplayed this disease like well okay i mean you can also say that trump was horrible by locking everything down inappropriately <laughs> and violating the constitution and yeah. you know it, there's all sorts of ways to hate Trump. I yeah. hate him all sorts of ways. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't. You need to just kind of be stuck in this. And and then, you know, you look at uh, Fauci early on. He was saying, "Oh, this is no big deal. It's very unlikely to affect the U.S." And, and then he he changed. And so everybody early on was saying this was no big deal. Oh, wash your hands. Don't wear a mask. That was his advice. And so mm -hmm. if you're kind of stuck within these different paradigms. You're you're going to really miss the the science because if if you're like oh this was all a hoax to bring down Trump you're going to miss a lot of science if you're like yeah. 
oh, this is the worst thing ever, and we have to have an authoritarian government, and this is why we have to have socialized health care, you're going to miss a bunch of science. And so it's always tough to kind of, um, you know, uh, look at your own biases. Of course, my bias is that, you know, a decentralized approach is, is going to be the best way. Yeah. And so I have you on to talk about how <laughs> that exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. So is that is that my uh, my own little bias? Um, yeah. It's it's uh, it's very difficult. I just really and I've got put up some things on my uh, my Facebook which were not well received mm-hmm. uh, about you know inferring that the U.S.'s response to this and multiple uh, industrialized countries' responses of shutting down the economy is going to devastate the third world and yeah. it is going to be a huge tragedy and just like every tragedy in the third world nobody's going to care nobody's going to notice and uh this disruption in the supply chain um is going to cause starvation and you know uh, crops are going to be uh difficult to put in in the third world because who knows what quote-unquote non-essential uh, item that was manufactured in China, the U.S., or wherever is going to be super essential for some, someone somewhere. And uh, it's just, you know, the economy is so complex, that is why you just can't design it. Mm-hmm. You can't control it. Otherwise, you're going to have all these unintended consequences. And it's uh, it's going to be a real tragedy. I mean, the um, uh, the rate of absolute poverty over the past 20 years was cut in half yeah. uh, through the industrialization and freeing of the markets in in um, Southeast Asia and Africa, and that could all potentially be reversed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, and it seems like this uh, lockdown, you know, and the effects that these policies will have on the third third world eventually come from people who claim to be to champion the life and the fate of the people in the third world Uh, and it's very it's like really ironic that way but also what so what you said earlier too is interesting so let's let's assume that uh, this virus now can mutate and it becomes a seasonal thing but either you figure out a way how to live you can't what are you going to do? Shut, shut down, shut this down forever because you can't become like permanently immune to this. So now you have to shut down everything forever. It's obvious then that you have to find a way to live with the virus. Right. So even in that case, even if you make that argument, that is not an argument against what, for example, countries like Sweden are doing, right? That when they hold things, when they, they hold their, their, their markets open, their economy open. It's a pretty strong argument for it, for that right. in that case, too, because what are you going to do? You, so then the alternative is to shut down everything forever. That's not that's not an option. So then you have to figure out a way to live with the virus, which means that this is the right approach yet again. So mm-hmm. it comes back to that. Yeah. And holding up Sweden as a model is what the left loves to do. And I agree. Uh, <laughs> let's. Uh, deregulate <laughs> let's decrease taxes let's decrease the welfare state mm-hmm. and uh, let's uh, follow our laws that we have in place that uh, prevent us from forcing 
everybody to shelter in place and yeah. to have this, you know, police going around arresting people for not wearing masks, even though right. two weeks ago everybody was told not to wear a mask or a month ago, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, it, it's just uh, it's insanity. Yeah. And it's very concerning also going forward that, you know, all of a sudden the U.S. government has these newfound powers that every time there's an emergency, mm-hmm. this is this is the response. And so it's setting a very bad precedent all for something that looks like at this point to been all for naught. Um, and it's going to end up uh, killing a lot more people and people who are younger uh, through starvation and poverty. I, I talked a bit on the last podcast about the um, a lot of epidemiologic research that talks about life years lost. And so how many people who have died young. So, you know, <clears throat> yeah. you die at the age of 20, you lose 60 life years. So the number of life years lost is going to dramatically eclipse yeah. even that yeah. if, if nobody had done anything. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and um, yeah, and like, like you said, I also think sweet people who like to hold up Sweden as a model and say, yes, we need universal nationalized socialized medicine. I, I don't think they, what they say, it's not like what, what, they don't generally understand how the healthcare system works in Sweden. In Sweden, healthcare is administered and um, and um, yeah, it's administered at the county level, not on that, not at a, at a national level. So each that's why you see a variety of quality of healthcare across Sweden, which can be different and how it works from county to county. Uh, so they're more agile. Now, this is obviously not some. I'm not trying to endorse socialized medicine or anything, but that's not generally not when when people, the Bernie Sanders supporters, scream for universal health care. This is not what they mean. They mean right. a top-down approach. This is not how it works in Sweden at all. The county level, they're more agile. You can see exactly, you know, at a smaller scale, how many patients and, and how many uh, ICU units are needed and so forth in the healthcare workforce and try to entice new doctors and nurses to move to this county as opposed to that county. So there is there is an element of competition put in there as well, which is uh, widely overlooked and never even considered a, a factor when, when uh, someone holds up uh, Sweden and looks, ah, we should have uh, universal healthcare. I don't think it means what they think it means. Right. And if you take um, the idea of socialism as being government control uh, this is a, a thing i brought up early when people were talking about south korea having um really good results and kind of what they were doing i think that was uh, episode 18 i kind of talked a little bit about that and i got in discussion on on facebook saying okay well let me just give you two general systems and you tell me which one is socialized one every citizen 60 uh, percent of their health care bill is paid and there's very few restrictions on what is considered a healthcare treatment, um, what medications they can take. There's very few regulations, uh, what type of insurance they have. Uh, you can get it not only from state to state, but you can also get it internationally from any country. Um, and almost everybody has additional uh, private health insurance mm-hmm. or where everyone, a, a system, I'm not going to tell you which one is which, but a system in which everybody over 65 has uh, care um, that's provided by, that's paid for by the government at 80%. And everybody under a certain uh, income bracket 
has their healthcare paid for. That's uh, essentially 100%. And the private insurance is highly regulated. They have a, a very aggressive uh, regulatory system um, that controls what medications you can and can't take. Um, the regulatory system to get medications approved takes 10 to 15 years for every drug. Um, and the prices of services are very controlled by this, uh, by the government, and uh, what treatments are allowed are very controlled by the government. So which one's more socialized? Right. This, this second one seems uh, pretty socialized to me. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know people don't realize that U.S. healthcare system, the problems that it has, is from the portions that are socialized. And so, well, I, which I, one is the first one though, that you? It was oh, that take South Korea. Oh, that's where, okay, that's yeah. that's where you want. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so that, yeah. that's why I was kind of looking yeah. into their healthcare system yeah. and what is it that they're doing that they have um, uh, such good numbers early yeah. on. Right. And but a lot of countries have things similar to that, where they have a baseline. Okay, we'll pay for a certain percentage of of, of healthcare just on everybody, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people you know, um, have additional insurance for the other kind of premium services or whatnot. Um, And there's very few that actually are much more where the government owns the hospitals and pays the doctors, and that would be like the NHS in Britain. And they're having all sorts of problems. And so it's just, you know, uh, you can have piecemeal socialism, and each time that you add in that those price controls and that government control, you get negative unintended consequences. And yeah, definitely. So that's why it's a bit of a misnomer to talk about socialist versus non-socialist, and I think we, you know, brought that up very well when we talked a bit about Sweden and its its mixed economy versus U.S. and its mixed economy. Mm-hmm. Well, what else do you have uh, for us? Uh, are we um, get any other tidbits about uh, Sweden? No, I'm trying to uh, see if I forgot anything, but I think. Uh, the main ideas have come across here. Uh, one thing that I like to point out is that people say, okay, so you look at Sweden, right? And then you look at uh, places like Norway, Denmark, and Finland. See, they have much lower fatality rates than Sweden. So, And they have locked down their country, so they must be doing it right. And then you... You, now you do that same comparison again, but compared to the UK, France, Spain, Belgium, and Italy, and how does that comparison work out? And Sweden comes out to look the best. So people can't admit that they just don't know, and this is very complicated, and it's okay to to say that. Like, I I don't know exactly a lot about this virus and its effects, and therefore I'm going to refrain from taking these, like, crazy draconian measures that haven't proven to be effective. Why is it that Norway and Denmark have lower fatalities than, than Sweden? It's it can't be if because of the lockdown because if that were the case then we would see the same results if we could put them in comparison with the countries that did lockdown and had disastrous results after yeah. that. So yeah, and the fatality rates are going to be very much augmented by the amount of people that have it and yeah. the testing and yeah. the antibody rates and so yeah. you, know, you certainly might see um, maybe a faster peak in Stockholm, but then you have uh, a much longer tail in some of these other Nordic countries. And, you know, who knows what the final numbers are going to end up. 
Um, yeah, I think they will probably end up looking pretty similar. I think when you lock down a country like the way many countries have done, now you're putting yourself into an incredibly difficult situation because you have to gradually start opening it up. So what do you start with? Okay, so we might start with the schools or the kindergartens or something and some uh, stores and you might augment uh, the allowance of people, number of people gathering and stuff like that. And so you see a spike in cases go up, right? And what are you going to do? You're going to lock down again. So you push back there again and you start somewhere else. Like it's very hard. Now you're putting mm-hmm. yourself in this situation and now you have to start opening up again. And then right. you end up at the same place like these other countries. And then you realize, oh, it, it did not have to be this way. And we only prolong the agony. Right. So it's it's a really hard, tough situation now that you have gone through with these extreme measures to lock down an entire economy. Once you need to start opening it up again, what's going to happen? I don't want to be. I would not want to be in that situation, being somebody right. favored those types of, of policies, and then realizing that, oh, this this is not going to go well. Uh, I mean, we we just have to let this. Yeah, and the politicians need to, for their own political career, hold on to that idea that these were necessary. Otherwise, you know, they're going to lose their political career. And I'm sure a lot of them are kind of running that arithmetic in their head, like, Mm -hmm. oh, man, what do I do now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, And it's, I mean, that's why politics is, uh, you know, maybe people shouldn't just be able to lord over other people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good way to, to uh, conclude alright Olaf thank you very much for your time I really appreciate it and this is uh, Honor and Ron Paul episode 20 and uh, please feel free to uh, check out www.honorandronpaul.com slash ep20 and there will be links in that um, on that site and thank you much for your time thank you thank you Howard